Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we speak with Justice Hampton, Director of Merchandising at WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Justice joined WPIC in March 2021, bringing with him 15 years of experience in merchandising. He previously held roles at a number of luxury apparel brands, including Lululemon, Abercrombie & Fitch, Coach, Ralph Lauren, and Club Monaco. We talked to Justice about how the world of merchandising has changed forever with the rise of the digital era, yet the fundamentals have remained unchanged. We discussed some companies who exemplify effective online merchandising and why. We discussed why it's such a difficult thing to master and what some of the emerging trends are, especially in China, that brands need to understand in order to be effective there and what the future of merchandising looks like, both globally and in China. Enjoy. One of the really cool things that certain online brands do really well is they take the best of what is the in-store experience and they figure out a way to replicate it as seamlessly as possible online. So when it comes to apparel, which is very much a, say, tactile art, right? Successful merchandising in, a, in the apparel space, it's, it's visual, it's ambient, right? It's the music, it's the people in the store, it's feeling like you're a part of like this cool kind of secret club where you're finding like the best products. They almost kind of replicate the experience of going into a really cool shop and just talking with someone who works at the store who's just really smart and savvy and just knows their class. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Justice, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Let's start with a bit of an introduction into yourself, the work you've done historically, as well as the work you are now going to be doing for WPIC. So my background um, is in product merchandising. Um, that's kind of how I cut my teeth um, in my, in my um, professional career. Um, I have worked for quite a few um, large um, apparel brands. Um, and my passion has always been um, working really closely with creatives and working on really amazing products um, and creating um, the strategies that allow uh, that amazing product to come to life in a really impactful way um, for the guest, whether that guest is interacting with our product in store um, or online. So that's kind of what my, um, the, the, the meat of my career has been um, for the last, gosh, I don't even want to say I feel so old um, for, quite, for quite some time. Though. We'll leave it at that. So my role at WPIC is really to leverage um, that rich history of um, both qualitative analysis, quantitative analysis, working with amazing products, um, and to make sure that whatever that client, um, whatever their product story is, whatever they're best in class at, to make sure that translates um, as seamlessly as possible from North America, Europe, wherever they're coming from, to that to that um, to that Chinese guest. You know, that's kind of my my reason for being at the WPIC. 
This is probably I'm front loading my favorite question because when I think about merchandising, I think about my old my background in the old days of working with Coca-Cola and going from store to store to store, checking on product, um, negotiating shelf space and, you know, at the front of the store, you know, and redoing the displays and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. To me, that was merchandising, right? Was 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 the brick and mortar version of it. But now everything's digital, right? So much shopping is done online. So, you know, talk to us generally. What is this new world of merchandising uh, like for e-commerce in this digital age? Yeah, it's a really exciting time, I think, to be a merchant. I mean, to be honest, merchandising is a pretty exciting job all the time. It's always um, something kind of cool and new happening. I think what's really exciting right now for me and what's also kind of gratifying given my background and my experience is that, you know, merchandising has changed um, quite a bit as everything has become more e-commerce driven, more digital, more online, um, having more points of um, more points of contact with the guests outside of a traditional brick and mortar um, brick and mortar um, uh, format. What I find to be really gratifying is that despite all those changes, I think what makes a really strong merchandising strategy, what makes a really strong product strategy, I think a lot of those things are the same. It's just being able to use that kind of digital component and that kind of like using the technology to be able to amplify the things that you were doing at the brick and mortar level. And now you just have all these more amazing ways to kind of, you know, accentuate what your product story is and really meet the guests where they are um, on multiple platforms. Right. So I think in terms of what's new and exciting about that is I think, I think the online merchandising has allowed you know, essentially the barrier to entry is a lot lower, right? So you're, you're able to get the guest. It's a great time to be a guest, right? Because you're having that much more, obviously, access to all different types of products, right? You don't, the barrier of entry to find what you're looking for is a lot easier. I'm sorry, a lot lower. Um, and you just have the opportunity just to find anything you need whenever you want it. How that impacts the merchandising side is that basically means that you've got to be a lot sharper at every point of contact. Um, because essentially it's not one of those things where like, if I'm trying to buy a shirt and I have my favorite kind of haberdasher that I go to, and I'm kind of like a captive audience, right? If I go in there, you may not have exactly what I want, but I'm already there. So I'm going to go ahead and do my shopping anyway, pick up what I need because I don't want to sacrifice the time of having to go somewhere else. So online, right? Like you have to be so much sharper at the point of sale, so much sharper at the point of like acquisition, getting the guests on the site, converting because they don't have to, there's no inconvenience in them just to literally open a new browser tab, right? So I think what's really exciting now about the form of merchandising you have to be really good at in order to be successful online is that you need to be that much sharper and your your ability to hook the guests has to be that much more like evident, right? You have way less time to get the guests to be super in love with your brand. Um, so I think that's kind of in a nutshell, like to me, that's like the really exciting part is it basically forces everyone to kind of step their, their, their level of performance up in terms of how they interact with the guests. And that ends up, you know, I think ultimately the guest ends up benefiting, right? Cause they have a lot more options in terms of the product they're looking for. Um, but I also think it has a positive benefit also for, for the, 
for on the business side as well, because you get to learn a lot more quickly about what you're doing and, and, and is it working or not. You get to learn really in real time, um, which is another kind of exciting thing um, about, you know, online merchandising. Can you tell me a little bit more about what your day to day looks like? Because, you know, again, as the guy who drove around in a Coke truck, um, you know, trying to trying to now visualize, well, well, now you're merchandising in a digital form, uh, almost as a as a consultant, especially, you know, uh, being able to do it in, in other countries. What does your day to day look like? Yeah, um, my day to day has definitely changed a lot more um, interfacing because this is business to business, right? So there's a lot more interaction um, with the client, whereas in a traditional kind of brick and mortar, like a vertical setup, you know, I am the client, I manage my business, I create all the strategy. So like everything is done internally, whereas here there's a lot more um, daily getting, hopping on a phone call to call a client, um, making sure that they, making sure that they feel like they're getting what they need um, from me, not only just me in terms of my function within the company, but you know, at the end of the day, if you're a client reaching out to someone at WPIC, you may have all kinds of other questions that may not necessarily may not necessarily relate to my kind of narrow work view. But you know, just I'm the representative, so now I got to answer other questions that you know for other people on the on the on the on our engagements team. So that's one way that's that has changed. Um, so a lot more just kind of client calls, just checking in. Hey, like, are you getting what you need? Hey, you know, I sent you an email a couple of days ago. I want to make sure we're keeping the ball moving on things. And the biggest difference really in my day to day, um, I'm, I am a, a, a very, uh, assiduous note, like uh, list, list maker, right? So my list gets a lot longer <laughs> now because, you know, I'm doing this for multiple accounts, right? So I think that's the other thing that's been different too. I spent a lot more time kind of like creating a system. Um, where I can easily, whether it's, you know, writing it down on paper or checking in Excel or a Word document where it's like, hey, like, here's where each client is, like, here's who they are, here's where they are on the journey line, like, here's how I'm helping them, here's what's being held up. Like, there's a lot more of that kind of note-taking that's happening um, in my day-to-day here, um, which is kind of like a bit of a switch kind of turning because it's not so much about checking on things that I'm just doing for myself. It's checking on things that I'm doing for the client, right? So that just becomes a lot more back and forth. In order to help our audience visualize what really good digital, and I am keep calling it digital merchandising, because we call it online merchandising, but to help them visualize what really good online merchandising looks like, could we potentially call out a couple of global companies uh, who really do online merchandising really well, in your opinion? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm an apparel guy, right? So I, I tend to spend a lot of time um, on apparel sites. And I would say a really great example of digital merchandising done incredibly well is Mr. Porter. Um, I don't know if you've checked out. So Mr. Porter is the um, it's the partner website, Canetta Porte, um, which is a, a, a women's wear um, uh, website. And then Mr. Porter is kind of like the menswear um, counterpart to that. I think one of the, if I can just take it aside here, I think one of the really cool things that certain online brands do really well is they take the best of what is the in-store experience and they figure out a way to replicate it as seamlessly as possible online. So when it comes to apparel, 
which is very much a, it's a tactile art, right? Successful merchandising in, a, in the apparel space, it's, it's visual, it's tactile, it's, it's being able to, it's, it's ambient, right? It's the music, it's the people in the store, it's feeling like you're a part of like this cool kind of secret club and where you're finding like the best product. And like Mr. Porter does an amazing job of replicating that experience online. And the ways that they do that is in my mind, they almost kind of replicate the experience of going into a really cool shop and just talking with someone who works at the store who's just really smart and savvy and just knows their craft, right? So you can go into Mr. Porter, you'll find journals, you'll find articles, you'll find blog posts about, you know, trends in, in men's, not only men's apparel, men's grooming, um, social issues, music, everything, right? So to me, it would be like, you know, if you walk into my store and you're looking for a really great pair of jeans and there's a song on that you like, like you may ask me what's that song and I'm not going to tell you, oh, it's this band. Like if I'm really want to provide that grade A customer service, I'm going to tell you the band. I'm going to tell you the kind of music it is. I'm going to tell you why it's amazing. I'm going to like, I'm going to figure out all these ways to, to create an experience for you that goes beyond just buying the clothing and leaving the store. And that's how you keep, and that's how you keep repeat customers. So I think Mr. Porter does a really great job of creating that experience of being in a store, um, but doing it in a way that's, that's super convenient, very slick. Um, it's just an amazing, amazing user experience for me. That's probably my favorite, my favorite one. Um, another one um, is Essence. Isn't there another retail um, brand that, again, just does a really great job of creating this very cool, like, um, atmospheric space where it's not just about coming onto the website, buying a pair of jeans, and then getting the heck out of it. Like, they actually try to create and curate an experience for you. So those are two um, that I really love. Um, I think if I needed to go outside of apparel, um, I really appreciate Apple. I appreciate the way that they showcase products. I appreciate the way that they really hone in on not only like the amazing features of their product, but also just the reason for making it, right? Like the, that, that really amazing intersection of kind of like the art and the science that leads to their product, I think is, you know, I think, I think probably best in class. It's pretty high up there for me. Um, those are some of my, those are like a few of my favorite um, brands. But for me, again, like the, I think the common, like the bright red thread kind of tying those three sites together is that they do an amazing job of curating an experience that's beyond just showing up, buying something and then leaving. I think that's really important. Why is that seemingly hard to do? Why do so few companies get that right? I think it's, well, I think there's a couple of things that readily jump to mind. One, I think, you know, if you back, if you, if you, you know, gone to a time machine and went back, you know, 10, 15 years and looked at websites or actually maybe not even that far, let's call it eight or nine years ago. There were some websites that were amazing. And there were a lot of websites that were just terrible. I think what's happened is as these, platforms have become, have become more democratized. I think the actual guest experience has become, has, has actually flattened. I think you kind of have to go out of your way to find a really like subpar online experience. And my one that like sticks out as being like an outlier, I think in general, they're all at about the same level. Um, so I think what's happened is I think, first of all, it costs money and effort and time 
right? So ultimately, if you're <laughs> one of the great things about the the about you know being online is you have less overhead, right? So if you want to create that amazing like experience, like a Mr. Porter or an Essence or an Apple, you've got to pay people and you got to have the right platform. You got to spend a bit more money, right? So I think some brands just take the more expeditious route and say, well, if the experience is going to be about the same at our competitor's website, then as long as we're at that same level, that same baseline, we don't really have to like spend more or pay people more to kind of get to that next level up, right? They may not see the reward in that. I think that's, I think a part of it, I think it's just like an economic, right? Just um, economic bottom line. Like, is it worth the spend? I think the other thing too, is that it's just, it is, it is not, it's not incredibly easy to get it right without the rest of that atmospheric, kind of like the add-ons, the, uh, the accoutrement that you're kind of adding in to, to create that amazing experience. It's a delicate balance because you don't want it to be so much that it's taking away from the product too, right? I think if there's this very delicate balance that I think it just takes a lot of time and effort. So when you combine that second element with the fact you have to spend money to kind of get it right, I can understand why for some brands, like, you know what, like we're going to show up the same way as our competitors that takes care of chicks that ticks that box. And the way we're going to win is by, you know, direct, you know, the direct marketing email blasts, right? Like having inventory being seamless in the way that we can service our demand from multiple DCs and things like that. I think they just, they'd rather spend the money on those items because they feel like they're going to get a more immediate, you know, um, return on investment. And I like because you're 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 almost pointing to um, class and and subtleness uh, and the importance of it. I mean, you want to uh, go in and have a great experience, but you almost don't want to know and have it ostensibly thrown in your face that we're trying to make a great experience for you. It makes me think of walking onto a, you know, a, a car lot, you know, going to buy a car where they get, you know, where there's just balloons and, and sale signs everywhere. And, and everything is at the front and the, and the sales guys run over and they're super aggressive with you versus a, a little bit of a more laid back, a little more clean. Can we get you a coffee? Something you, you can walk around, you get everything that you need and nothing that you don't. And it didn't feel like you were being sold something and that you were the master of your own domain the entire time you were there uh, making all of your own decisions, but you were left with this really pleasant feeling. That to me is a great segue into really where we want to take this conversation is to talk about China. Let's start with trends you're seeing in merchandising globally. Okay. So outside of our North American bubble and then how that translates and how that differs into the China ecosystem. Sure. I think, um, and again, as I, as I am you know, getting more, more accustomed with that, with that guest and with, with, with this particular role, um, a few things that kind of stick out in my mind. One is just how important um, the KOL part of the business is. Um, you know, that is something that, you know, you have visibility to it. Um, you have a certain level of visibility to it in like a traditional North American kind of brick and mortar um, vertical merch setup. Um, but just understanding just the approach in the Chinese market, it's so, it's so much more, um, I think, like aggressive and it's an absolute like need to have. So I think, you know, understanding just how that Chinese guest 
interacts with the KOL people in a different way, I think, than it does in North America. I think it's been a really interesting kind of like opening lesson for me. Um, I, you know, cause I mean, I honestly, like there are plenty of brands um, and they may not be huge, maybe they're smaller, they're more, you know, um, boutiques that, that can sell amazing products that don't necessarily, they, they have a digital presence, right? But they're not necessarily, you know, doing the, the KOL route, right? It's like there, there's ways to, to exist in that ecosystem in the United States um, without having to lean on KOLs as much. So that's been one thing that's a really big difference to me. Um, I think also too, just like the, because the Chinese guest is starting to get more exposure to these North American and kind of in European brands. When you say guest, I just have to clarify something. Does that consumer who has yes, kind of landed on your site type of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, and it's, <laughs> that comes from my background in my lab organization where um, saying the word customer was not, was like a dirty word. It was always the guest. The guest. I think I've just drank the Kool-Aid for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, guest and customer, I, I probably use those interchangeably. I'm not um, a bellboy. I'm guest services. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Or you're a concierge. Um, Correct. No, I, yeah, I think, you know, it's just interesting how the guest in actually what I wanted to say was what's interesting is that how the guest actually interacts with like using Tmall as an example. Um, one of the big eye openers for me is that the guest going on Tmall isn't necessarily going on Tmall like on their phone, right? to just to get what they want and just get out of there. Like they're actually spending, they're actually using Tmall in their phone as a way to like pass the time, which is an interesting, because what's interesting to me, I, I know it's not the same thing, but it makes me think about how in like a brick and mortar merchandising, like the idea is to keep the guests in the store, right? You put the right product in the right inventory levels in front of them. You crank the dollar per square foot up. You crank like the units per transaction, all that stuff. You get all those things humming by keeping the guests in the store for as long as possible. Whereas I think, you know, e-com, it's really about, you know, getting the guests in, giving them enough content they need to make the transaction and get out of there. Um, you don't want them to feel like they're being kind of bogged down. So that's another thing that's different too, is that um, the guests, as, as I'm learning, the guests in China is actually spending quite a bit of time um, on Tmall um, to actually just kind of spend the time, do their shopping, but also it's like a, it's almost like a, not a, not a hobby, but it's almost like a, like something to do, which is also kind of a bit of a switch. It's like going to the mall. Yeah, basically. It's exactly what it's like doing, but your mall's in your, in the palm of your hand. So that's something that's also a bit of a, a bit of a change for me. Um, I think what else has like been kind of sticking out to me in terms of merchandising as I've, as I've been in seats so far. Well, the design of their, of their sites, yeah. I mean, tell me if things have changed in the last, you know, five years or four and a half years since I left. But let's just say there wasn't a crafty use of white space um, no. to create elegance. It was a very different type of experience. You're absolutely right. It's very, it feels very, I don't want to say claustrophobic and like, it's not a negative sense. It's just that like, let's say highly efficient, right? Like it's a lot of products. So if you go and do a product search for, you know, whiskey tumblers, my gosh, you're going to see the range of products, the amount of the jamming. And I think there was something I was actually doing some research for one client. And I remember 
can't remember which product category it was, but I remember there were 85 pages of products that I got to look through to kind of understand like what the price ranging was, right? So it's, it's, it just visually, it looks so different from what I'm accustomed to, obviously with that kind of more like North American, more Western um, kind of sensibility. Um, so that's another thing where I'm kind of trying to break down that barrier too. And like, I feel a lot more comfortable navigating uh, Tmall now than I did you know, uh, six, seven weeks ago. Um, but it's still a bit of a, of, of an adjustment. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's really the important part of why it's, you know, we, we often repeat on this podcast, the value of going into those foreign markets with trusted partners who've been there, done that and know what it's like, because it is vastly different. And what you think is nice and elegant and, and kind of attractive, uh, can be very, very much not to another viewer, another guest. So let's talk a little bit about the future of merchandising. Uh, you know, let's lean in on the future of merchandising as you know it globally. And then, uh, and then let's, let's tap into a little bit about your focus, uh, going forward in the new role, which is China. How will it differ in China, uh, versus the rest of the world, uh, in your, you know, kind of brief, uh, time so far? So regarding the future of merchandising, I think what's going to happen is what you're already seeing it is that brands are getting smarter and smarter about the way that they are interacting with their guests. Um, obviously, you know, you look at perfect example, look at um, Instagram, you know, five years ago versus what Instagram is now. Instagram is transformed into a marketplace, right? Which was initially just a place to share photos and, you know, chat with your friends, right? So I think, <clears throat> I think for every, so you can say, make the same argument with Snapchat, right? I think every new kind of social media platform, TikTok obviously um, is another like the m- more recent example. Every single one of these that comes out, merchandising, you know, digital marketing, all that stuff is going to figure out a way to monetize that and sell something um, to whoever it is that's using that using those platforms. Um, so that's obviously that's just going to continue to accelerate. Um, I also see um, online merchandising companies having a lot more flexibility in the way they price product. Um, being able to um, kind of pivot between different kind of um, different uh, promotional um, strategies um, in, a, in a way that's very seamless to where the guests actually um, feels like they're kind of getting the value that they want when they want it. I think that's going to happen. Um, <clears throat> I imagine basically um, a scenario where you know, uh, a guest goes on to a website where they're accessing it through mobile or they're, you know, on their, um, on their, uh, on their phone. And the, that basically the company or the organization has a few different price scenarios already loaded up and they've already worked that into their margin and into their cost where basically the guest can almost select like which price they want to take advantage of, which gives the guest choice but is also at the end of the day, as long as you're planning for it and marketing and I'm sorry, and planning your, um, your margin appropriately, you're able to give that guest the, um, that freedom of choice to pick what they want to spend, but you're still making what your margin is anyway. Um, and I think of like, you know, uh, I think of websites like honey, right. That kind of go Mm. and they they kind of write, I think, I think that's going to be kind of the next, um, 
progression of that, I think you're going to see companies have a lot more flexibility in how they're how they're promoting their prices and how they're giving the guests the opportunity to kind of pick what they want to spend. I feel like that's coming. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 consider, I, I also obviously continue to see, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how that barrier to entry, um, the low barrier to entry in terms of online, um, how that continues to get even easier for more and more companies and more and more brands to kind of continue kind of showing up. Um, I think that's something that's going to be kind of interesting to watch um, as well. So that's just kind of merchandising in general. Uh, I think as far as like merchandising in China, you know, that's one where my line is a little more, um, if you were just thinking of my kind of newness in the, um, in the field, I think as more and more brands, more and more non kind of native Chinese brands come into China, I think there's going to be an actual interesting tension between, um, between the kind of more localized brands and the way that they approach pricing, the way that they approach um, merchandising, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more of a Western influence in there because I think China, if you're a Chinese brand, you have a competitive advantage in that you can obviously price lower, right, than a Western brand coming in because the majority of the product is coming right out of your backyard. However, as the guest is getting, continues to get more and more and more and more exposure, which they already have, to these luxury brands, I think that you are going to see somewhat of an inflection point where I think brands that can show up and have a really, really solid like value proposition, like, yes, like we are asking you to spend more, but look at the quality that you're getting. I think eventually, you know, guests kind of get tired of spending, you know, you know, a dollar fifty-two dollars or something that if they spend like an extra 10 or 15, it's going to last longer and they don't have to end up replacing it. Right. I think that's going to happen too. I think you're going to see a lot more of that kind of like low price pressure. I think I would, I would hope to see some of that ease um, as, as these really, really high end um, aspirational brands um, start to have more influence um, um, in, in China. I, I agree. Uh, it will be, I, I think there will definitely be some, some influence and I think there'll be some, uh, they'll each uh, start kind of uh, trending towards each mm-hmm. other, and then you'll 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 start to see this kind of interesting Venn diagram. But it it also depends on I think you know there's there's always been this Western perception of higher quality, uh, a little bit more luxury that comes from outside China. But there's been a lot of inroads yeah. by local companies um, that have now been able to challenge on quality and luxury uh, positioning. And uh, but then the opportunity, uh, vice versa, has been for a lot of Western brands. To come in and actually compete at the uh, the lower price point uh, entry points of uh, of some of the some of the different markets and SKUs that are out there as well. So um, yeah, it's it, you know it's it's a constantly changing landscape, uh, which is why we need people on uh, you know uh, quote unquote on the ground, although now it's digitally as well uh, in China, um, which, you know, leads to me to my, my last kind of question in here is, is why did WPIC open up merchandising capabilities, you know, for all the services and everything that they do to help all the brands be successful in China? And we know about Creative Labs that was just announced, and 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 we we talked to uh, we talked to Charles about why that was important. Now we're talking about merchandising capabilities. Why is that also important? Well, I mean, again, I think you know it, it goes back to being able to localize, right? Uh, you can localize um, a brand by having the right brand book that's appropriate for the country, having the right logos, having the right copy, having the right. Um, 
visual experience online, right? But, but you also have to localize the assortment. And so I think where the merchandising role comes in, which I think is a super exciting time to be a part of the organization in this capacity, is that it's an ability to get that much smarter about how you're deploying uh, product in market, right? Um, you know, we spend a lot of time, um, you know, assiduously putting together these, these data pools and understanding like what the size of market is, understanding how the market um, segments by price, by, 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 um, by product category. Um, what's really important is to make sure that as the client, if you're coming to WPIC for our expertise in market, you want to make sure that you have that level of guidance and care in making sure that whatever you're best in class at, doesn't matter what it is, are we, are we forecasting the right amount of volume behind it based on what the data is telling us? You know, so you could be, a, as a perfect example, you could be a men's apparel company and you could do shirting, polos, suiting, amazing denim. But if you come into China with the wrong sizes or the wrong colors or the wrong pattern um, or the wrong kind of uh, aspirational um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, if you come if you come into the market with like not the right kind of merchandising approach, you're you're not going to sell anything because it's a different guest. And so I think that's what a merchant that's what a merchandising arm of any organization has to do is to make sure that the product and the strategy and the data come together harmoniously to create an amazing product experience for the guests. That's exactly why the role is so important. Um, and that's what I hope to hope to bring um, to the organization in the role. Justice Hampton, uh, the new director of merchandising at WPIC, thank you very much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Really great time. Thank you. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jian.